Hello and welcome to the Trainer Tools podcast. This is an extra one, a bit of a surprise between the two regular monthly ones. And it's a bit of a surprise to me as well. I had no actual intention of releasing a podcast now or recording this one. But Gary Platt contacted me. He'd listened to the previous uh, recording that we did with Christina Gad. And we were talking about objectives and how important they were as part of accelerated learning because they provided the focus. They kind of answered that so what question. And there's a couple of points that came up in the conversation Christina and I had that Gary felt that he wanted to respond to. So he contacted me, we recorded this, and here it is. I'm here today with Gary Platt. Hi, Gary, how are you? Hi. Hello, and um, we're recording this because you were responding to the podcast that I recorded with Christina Gad, which was talking about learning objectives. And in the middle of that, I said something about smart objectives, and you got in touch with me and said something about that. So do you want to just give a quick introduction to what inspired you to contact me about this one? Yeah. Um, I was listening to the uh, the last podcast and Christina talking about the, you know, Robert F. Major's uh, objective format. And, and then you started to talk about smart objectives and how, you know, well, you weren't happy with them. And uh, there were some criticisms made about you know, whether something could be made, what do they mean by the word specific? And I had a lot of the same problems with SMART, you know, uh, uh, when I first started to to use this model. But I actually think that where SMART objectives don't work, and they don't work in all circumstances, is where you're trying to look at something or you're trying to focus on something that doesn't necessarily lend itself to quantification. Uh, but where you are looking to measure and quantify something to to determine progress, I think they can be incredibly effective. So, I mean, we, we've spoken before about objectives and you gave us, in, in a previous podcast, you gave us a, a really useful technique where you looked at the ways of quantifying exactly this by way of coming up with a way of measuring objectives which weren't necessarily yeah. smart. It, what that previous podcast was exactly about the circumstances or situations where smart does not fit. But now what, what, what I'm talking about is where smart is appropriate and does fit. Right. OK. So I kind of had a bit of a, a mild rant on that podcast yeah, with on. Christina yeah, yeah, yeah. About, about smart objectives. The rant, when, it, when I was introducing it, with, when I was chatting, the initial conversation with Christina, I was expecting myself to rant more rantily than I did and in the end I was actually quite mild yeah um so I'm just going to play that now and then we can just quickly discuss it and then we can move on to what it was you, you your specific circumstances yeah I know um, when I've actually delivered sessions for trainers train the trainers or facilitator type development and I've said right we need to look at objectives immediately everybody goes they must be smart and you can feel the energy leave the room yes you know because they just yeah. think oh god we're gonna have to go through this again yeah and when you actually say, no, they don't, we're actually going to look at a different model. We're actually yes. looking at PCS and you know, just the relief. Yes. You know, that people breathe just because it's not this smart, this yes. omnipresent acronym, which yeah. has just taken over. This isn't my rant on smart, it by the isn't. way. My, my rant on smart is more based around the fact that the acronym is kind of, it is a good acronym. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it does have wisdom within it, but it, it, it kind of takes over. And I think when we talk about performance objectives, what performance objectives should be about is they should be, here is a 
a, a, a deliverable that adds value to the organization, mm. which is motivational for the individual to do. And mm -hmm. it's probably challenging for them as well. So it has a developmental aspect. Mm -hmm. That's what's important. Yeah. It, what's not important is SMART, fitting in of an acronym, which basically means you end up reducing your ambition and reducing your scope of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And you, you make, you end up making the objectives less and less relevant to the mm. individual. Yes. And things should be, they should add value to the organization. They should be motivating. They should be challenging. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what's important in a performance objective. Yeah. I, I would agree, John. Definitely. Okay. That's pretty much what I was trying to say. The, right. the thing about SMART is not necessarily, it's not a dead clever acronym. It is. But when that becomes the only factor that's important about a performance objective, that it must be specific, it must be measurable, etc., we end up reducing our ambition. We end up being it ends up being a lot less interesting, challenging, motivating, and you know, and interesting. Did I just say that? I'm repeating myself. But it just becomes a lot less good than it could be. And when you just think about objectives, just make something that adds value, make something that's motivating for the person that they want to do and that's challenging, that makes them grow and pushes the, them and the organization forward. I think those are much more interesting boxes to tick than whether or not it fits this acronym. Um, so that, that was the basis of my rant. Yeah, and my immediate response to that is I don't see why you can't necessarily always make uh, something that's challenging, engaging, and, and motivational to the individual, which is also smart. I don't think the two things uh, are mutually exclusive. I agree that they're not mutually exclusive. My cons my point more is that smart tends to dominate, and I think it dominates because it's a very well known acronym that's regarded as best practice. Do you mean? But I it think dominates? it misses, it misses the big points. Yeah, do you mean it dominates in the sense of that's the, the 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 predominant thing that trainers teach people to use? Yeah, and that's used within organisations. It's it's what's taught, but it's also what's used within the organisations, right. and it becomes this is best practice. This is this is wisdom. And although the five things that Smart ticks off are all worthy, whichever way you whatever yeah. you put the letters mean, it doesn't really matter. They're all more or less the same. But it, to me, that's great. No, not, it misses the big three. <laughs> I disagree with that. They're not all the same. Well, same-ish. But anyway, no, you can you no. can disagree. Go on then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, listen. I, I, first of all, I don't think smart fits every situation and circumstance. But there are certainly an, a large number of circumstances and situations where it does fit. Now, let me kick off with a question, John. Do you know where they actually came from to begin with? Where smart originated from? No, I don't actually. Well, they were developed by a guy called George T. Doran uh, in America in 1981. And basically, he developed this method and they were never intended initially for personal objectives. They were intended for departmental or section objectives. Oh, right. I never knew that. Yeah. So they were never meant to be assigned, if you like, to an individual. Uh, they were meant more for departmental concepts. And the other thing that's interesting is that the smart definitions that he used, uh, one of the items uh, doesn't even get mentioned today. Uh, one of the, you know, the, the, what the words mean actually doesn't get mentioned today. It's a different... Um, what were they? What were his? Well, the original ones were, first of all, it had to be specific. Second, it had to be measurable. The third, it'd have to be assignable. In other words, there had to be a name placed against it. 
Uh, fourth, it had to be realistic, and the fifth one had to be time-related. So it's the assignable one that really has been dropped and been substituted by lots of different yeah. um, v- versions, if you like, of this. In my experience, the A and the R tend to kind of change between realistic and agreed, and th- those are the two that I use, but yeah. I've seen yeah. various other versions instead yeah. of... Instead of those two, yeah. The other thing that's in, the other thing that's interesting to say what Doran uh, said is that he didn't think all of them were always necessary either. So he didn't have to tick all of the boxes against specific, measurable, assignable, realistic, and time related. Oh, okay. This is getting a lot more interesting. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. In terms of the points that I raised, then you said they're not mutually exclusive, and I, I, I do agree with you. My point was that Smart just missed the most important things and ended up being seen as this best practice. But you also disagreed with me again around the the way that the the different letters are sometimes assigned. I kind of yeah, yeah. felt it was kind of much of a muchness, whether or not it was relevant or realistic or agreed or whatever the yeah, other yeah. one is. That's. Yeah. I mean, what 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 did you want to say about that? Because you disagreed with me on that one. Well, <clears throat> let me give you my history about uh, with smart objectives. Um, I twenty five years ago, I was introduced to it. You know, specific, measurable, achievable, and all the rest of it. And uh, I started to train people in exactly this system. And this is 25 years ago. And for the first 15 years, I would look at what people had written following my training session. And uh, and, and just thought the people I was training were thick because, <laughs> because they yeah. clearly hadn't grasped the concept. And, you know, and these people just couldn't even couldn't write smart objectives. It wasn't that smart was flawed. Now, uh, after 15 years, the penny began to drop with me that maybe there was something wrong with SMART and that 15 years worth of managers couldn't be wrong. Because I've seen, I have to say, I've seen SMART fail more often than I've seen it succeed. Exactly. How it's written. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's not a fault of SMART, John. That's a fault of the trainers training SMART. Well, okay. All right, carry on. Okay. Might come back to that. Okay. Now, the issue for me, and you actually touched upon it in your previous podcast, we started off with the word specific. And and I think think the the, the point of the observation that was made is, well, what does that mean? How do you make something specific? And it's a really good question. I think, in fact, I think it was Christina who said it. And it's a really good point. How do you make something specific? And if I was going to make any criticism of SMART, is that they don't have definitions against what each of these criteria are. So it's whatever you feel means specific is what the people and the managers write. And that is where the problem is, is that we tell people the objectives have got to be specific, but then don't tell them what specific means. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was Christina that said that. Yeah, yeah. And I think she she put on... She put, you know, a finger out on top of it when she said that. Yeah, I mean, she sort of, she actually described it as woolly. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting because I hadn't heard anybody describe the word specific as woolly before. But when she actually broke it down and talked about the way she wrote objectives um, using, you know, uh, Robert Major's system, it made sense what she was saying. Well, here's the irony. Uh, You know, I'll, I'll be doing a training course and I might have 12, 15 people on the course. And, and the first issue is we've got to make objective specific. And if I asked everybody in that room to write down what do they mean by specific, we'd have 15 different definitions of the word specific. And the irony is the word specific is not specific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. And that's so easy to miss. 
So what I did after this 15 years of, uh, of being totally unhelpful and uh, not achieving very much by teaching smart was to work out a set of criteria that what does this mean? How do you define each of these areas? And what happened actually, you know, the training journal, it used to be called the training officer and then it became training journal. I actually published yeah. an article in there and this is about, oh God, it must have been getting on for, you know, 15 years ago when this article came out, which actually listed all these definitions. And if you do a Google search for it, it's it's multiplied across the internet and it's, and it's um, it's everywhere now. If I'd only painted it, I'd have been worth a fortune now. So, so would that guy who wrote Smart Objectives. Yeah, yeah. If he got paid every time somebody wrote one of those damn things, he would be. Uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. He would never have to work again. Yeah. What am I supposed? To, what am I supposed to Google here? What should it say? Well, it, 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 well the definitions are. Well, what, let me let me go through what the definitions are, and then you'll be able to see. You know, you'll be able to just look for it. Go on then. Originally, it was a training journal article that got published and then it got reproduced. And there was even an exercise that trainers could use with people on training programs. Okay. Okay, so if we start off with specific, specific has got a number of gates that it's got to go through. And the first is, whatever it is, has got to be observable. You've got okay. to be able to look at it and see it. Okay. The second thing is, it's either a behavior a task or an outcome. A behavior, a task or an outcome. So a behavior is a, an action that somebody would repeat. So a behavior might be uh, when a customer comes in, uh, give them uh, eye contact, uh, greet them, ask them what they want and respond. And, and that would be a behavior that gets repeated and we can observe it and we can see it. The second is a task and this is a job or a work, a piece of work that has to be uh, undertaken and done. And, and an example of that would be is if you're working with an engineer, for instance, I want this water cooler uh, recited to the other side of the office uh, and, and operating before the end, of, uh, the end of the week. So that's an individual task that somebody's got to do. So it's either a behavior, a task, and the third one is an outcome. And an outcome would be saying something like, I want uh, scrap work, um, rejected work reduced by 5%. Or I want uh, sales increased uh, by a certain quantity over a period of time. So it's a behavior, a task or an outcome. And we've got to be able to observe it or see the result of it. Okay, so we've got it, it must be observable. Yeah. And then we've got this behavior. So it has to be a behavior a task or an outcome. Yeah, it's got to be one of those three things. Okay. And the third and final gate for something to be specific, there has to be either a metric or a quantifier attached to that. Um, by metric, I mean it could be something uh, about uh, a reduction by 5% or a, num a number of items that have got to be done. Or a quantifier could be that if it's a task that's being done, that it's got to be working and operable. You've got to be able to say that it's op you know, it, it, it's, it's working to the capacity it was designed for. So it, there's either a metric or a quantifier that's linked to it that says, yes, it's done or no, it isn't. So is this like your standard that is required? Yeah. For specific? Yeah. Yes, yeah. 
So it's it's kind of it's kind of leaking into measurable, really, isn't it? No, that last me- point. No, no. Oh, measurable okay. is a different thing. Yeah. Oh right, okay. Because to me, that just sounds like you're saying measurable. That on yeah, the last it, point. Well, yeah, but I may, uh, I am, but uh, that I, I do, the thing for measurable is a different issue. Uh, for something to be specific, it's got to be a level or a standard, as Major referred to it. And that level or standard is I, is this, you know, metric or this quantifier about whether it's right or wrong, uh, whether it's operating or not. So that's what makes something specific. All right. All right. So, so, so that's that's breaking down that specific point. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really useful, actually, because that makes it a lot easier to think through what it is that people might you well, might include. Yeah, well, in, I mean, in what, an objective. What, what that means, what that means, effectively, John, that somebody can look at an objective and say, "Has it got those three things present?" Yeah, I just want I just want to make an additional point on that, actually, which may be a point to make in measurable rather than specific. But I think your second point, whereby there's a behaviour, there's a task, or there's an outcome, and then your third point is there's some kind of standard or metric quantifier. Mm. I think I think there ha- there has to obviously be a direct link between those two things. And it might sound like I'm stating the obvious, but sometimes the metric may not be actually be linked to the behaviour that's being asked. I don't, I don't really, I don't understand what you're saying. That's that's why I've got side. Well, yeah, sorry. Let's say, for example, in your example, you said the the behaviour was that you have to smile as a part of a customer service. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But your your metric could be, I want to see customer service scores goes up five percent. There's not necessarily a direct proven link between those two things. Well, I, that that wouldn't be the way I would write it. If it was about if it was a behavioural, I'd be saying for all customers who enter the shop, you will display this behaviour. So it would be a hundred percent of all customers visiting the shop. What you've just said is a is a result or an outcome uh, of that behaviour. But if I'm I'm looking to see that person practice and demonstrate that behavior i'd be saying look you have to do this with 100 percent of all customers who come into this shop so your metric is the 100 percent of the yeah. customer you stand that that's that's what i'm saying because there obviously is a direct link between those two things but that's what i'm saying is that the the metric part must have a direct link to the behavior yes yes yeah, yeah. i think quite often measure uh, measurables don't editor's note i just have to butt in at this point when i was editing the podcast and listening back I realised that I ha- just hadn't really articulated that point properly. I hadn't really driven it home. So I want to just make it here a bit more clearly. All I meant was the activity, the task, the behaviour, the outcome that is specified in the objective must be the main driver of the measure. And I know that sounds obvious, but quite often measures that are put into objectives, because measurement always seems quite a difficult nut to crack, quite often the measures are just whatever pre-existing measures there are. And actually, the, the activity of the objective is not the main driver of that measure. The person doing the objective simply doesn't have the levers to pull to drive the measure. Therefore, I mean, first of all, that's unfair. And secondly, it's completely demotivating. You're, good, you're telling someone to push up customer service scores by smiling more. And that may not, there may not be a direct link. There may be many, many other moving parts which are acting upon that customer service score that the employee simply doesn't have access to. And I think the reason this happens is because when we think of measures, we think of metrics, numbers, and things like that, whereas the the nature of most of the work that we do doesn't lend itself well to numerical tracking. A lot of the way that we are judged is subjective. It's other people's opinions of the piece of work we've produced, the deliverable, how we behaved, whatever. And for some reason, because it is measurable, we think that's not okay. But that is okay. 
because that is genuinely how our customers or how our bosses or how our teammates and colleagues are judging us. That's how they are measuring our performance. And therefore, it's perfectly valid to have a subjective measure as long as it's very clear and there's regular feedback so that the person genuinely understands how well they're doing against that measure. So the point that I was trying to make in that last piece was really just that it's absolutely vital for it to be a good, smart objective that the activities within the objective are the, are the drivers of that measure. The, the, the person needs direct access to be able to move the measure. Otherwise, it's just simply not fair and it's, it, it's not a measure of that objective. It's a measure of something else. I wish I'd said that the other day. Well, I think sometimes people set uh, objectives that are out of convenience rather than uh, what's important, you know. So, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. All right. So we've got a framework here for writing, at least getting it specific. Yeah. So where where do you want to take us next? Well, so the next one is measurable. Right. Okay. And this is where you were suggesting, well, that's where the metric is. Measurable for me means, is there a system to track progress? Is there a method by which we can follow what progress is being made? The, the, the quantifier or the metric is defined in the specific item. Measurable is, is there a system or a process via which we can track uh, how far we've got and how well we're doing? Because if you haven't got a system to measure, if you haven't got a method to track progress, how are you going to know it's been done? And the answer is you're not. So you're thinking about this more in a kind of mechanical procedural sense, as yeah. in how, how what's what's your process for counting the smiles? Yes, yeah, yeah, or the, yeah. the greetings. Um, right, okay, okay. So I mean, I don't entirely agree with this adage, but there is some truth in it that if you don't measure it, they don't do it. So, uh, for instance, uh, if we're saying uh, sales have got to be increased by five percent, or you know, just as a simple example or cross sales have got to be increased by so many, we've got to have a system that will give us uh, the numbers. There has to be a system. Now, sometimes this system to track progress is incredibly simple. You know, if I'm saying I want this water cooler recited from one side of the office to the other, my system to track progress, to measure progress, is to go down and look at it. So it doesn't need to be sophisticated, but there needs to be some kind of process or apparatus by which we can say, yes, we are moving in the right direction or no, we are not. Yeah, in in, in that example, it could be agreeing a monthly, weekly check-in or it could be agreeing a p- series of surprise checks or whatever. So yeah, be some kind of process for for ensuring that you could observe. Yeah. Okay, that, that's a different way of looking at this measurable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way I've always thought about this is where this is where you kind of start drilling down into the why. Yeah. And you're thinking, like, why are we bothering with this objective? Why are we doing it? And it could be a more efficient water cooling or it could be better customer service scores well, that, or that, whatever. That's where, that's where my R comes in in smart because I have a different uh, definition for the word R. Okay, I can see now why you said that <laughs> when I said that everybody's versions of these letters were more or less the same and you disagreed yeah. with me. I agree with yeah, you yeah. now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that we, we, we see this completely differently. But it's interesting. Well, it really- the, the only reason we see it differently, John, is I've reinvented smart so it'll work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I, this, this, obs- this point about the fact that you need the system of measuring, because it's very easy to say you need to follow the customer service code or whatever it is, which involves a smile, a greeting, etc. Yeah, yeah. But un- unless you are... Unless you do have a, a, a process, a mechanic, some way of checking, yeah. 
You're yeah. right. It's not. It's not gonna. You're gonna end up on the last day of doing your appraisal and going, "All right, then, Gary, did you do it?" Yeah. I have no evidence. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So. Okay. So, um, that that's M. Yeah. In in the way that you're looking at it, and so you, you take us on to A now. So what what do you have A standing for? I I can't begin to guess what you've changed this to. Actually, this one this one is fairly standard. This one's got to be achievable. Uh, and okay. what I mean by that is that the, the, the goal I target, um, it has to be stretching. It has to be something it, which the individual on the receiving end of this is engaged with and, you know, and sees as appropriate. But it's got to be achievable. If you set somebody a goal or a target that's, that's impossible, there is a small percentage of the population that will try and do it. Most of those people serve in the special forces but uh, people like myself if you give me an impossible target I, frankly i just don't bother you know I, right. I am not a fan of not bashing my head against a brick wall uh, and the other one is that if it's too easy or too simple um, then it wasn't worth doing in the first place so it's got to be achievable it's got to be within the realms of reason it should be stretching but it's appropriate uh, and typically uh, the other way this they, they talk about a is about agreed so you can say this one it's got to be both achievable and agreed with the individual okay and, and agreed the way i look at agreed is agreed's always been one it agrees with the kind of the, the direction that the business is trying to get to the organization is trying to get to so it's sort of an agreement in that sense yeah. an agreement as in a shared understanding well that's where my r comes in oh uh, is that all yeah, in r yeah, i can't, yeah, I can't yeah. wait to i can't wait to get to r there's loads in that <laughs> but <laughs> Um, and the other thing I, I briefly had a, a flirted with changing A to ambitious, which you've kind of touched on as well, because we're yeah. stretching. I mean, I know you, achievable's right as well. You are you are absolutely right. I think it has to be the balance between achievable and ambitious. Yeah. And appropriate. Yeah. Another A. Well, again, right. Well, that's where R comes in again. Go on then. What have you got for R? So it's got to be specific, measurable, achievable. The R is relevant, and there are two sides to relevance. The first is, is it relevant to what the business is trying to achieve and accomplish? Does it fit in with the goals and targets of the business or the department or the section? So in other words, are we aligning somebody's efforts with things that are important to what the business wants to do? Because earlier I said that a lot of objectives are set out of convenience. And what they're doing is just picking something where it's dead easy to track. Well, that's not the purpose of SMART. It's to, it's to stretch people, it's to develop people, it's to it make sure that effort is aligned with the business. So the first aspect of something being relevant is, can I see how it supports what the business is trying to do and achieve? Okay, I like that. That's good. Okay. Like the, that. second, the second type of relevance is, it's got to be relevant to the person's job or role or function. So let's imagine we've got a business that's uh, got cash flow problems and it's trying to save money. And I'm in charge of the cleaning staff. And I get the cleaning team together and I say to the cleaners, look, uh, you've got to increase market share by 13% over the next quarter. Right. <laughs> so first of all, it's not relevant to what the business is trying to do because market share is not the issue. The issue is saving money. And secondly, it's not relevant to that role or function. I am quite certain that cleaners contribute towards uh, 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 market share 
quite how and quite how you can track that, I have no idea. So it's not relevant to the business and it's not relevant to that person's job. But if I say to the cleaners, I want you to reduce our expenditure on cleaning materials by 10% this month compared to last month, bingo. Number one, it's relevant to what the business is trying to do. And number two, the cleaners can either use the cleaning materials more frugally, provided the standards are maintained, or they can source cheaper product to do the same job. And then it's got relevance covered under the two levels. One, is it relevant to the business? And two, is it relevant to that role or function that the person uh, undertake? Yeah, I like that. I think that's a really good definition of, of relevant. Great. Okay. We can agree on that one at least. Okay. And the last one is uh, time bound. And this one is really the simplest of the lot. There is either a starting date or and or a completion date. So if I'm saying greet all customers in in a certain way, it could be as from the 1st of August and then it's ongoing. If I'm saying I want the water cooler recited, I might be saying and I want it completed uh, and working by the 1st of September. And in which case there's just a completion date. And sometimes you might have both a starting and a finishing date. But the time related uh, one is simpler is either a start and or a finish date to, in order to accomplish uh, the objective. Yeah, of course, you do need a date when you're going to check in. Um, yeah. Although to some extent, that's a measure. And I think you could just say that's part, you could include that under the measurement headline, I think. Okay, well, it, I, I wouldn't perceive it like that. I'd just say it, 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 it's a date when the task has either got to, the, or the behaviour or the outcome has got to commence or it's got to be completed or finished. Okay, well, that that's a really useful talk through of smart and i i was kind of a, in in the in my mind i've been trying to sort of think through how to bring this to life and how to make this a lot more interesting and useful for people and as i said i toyed with making a ambition and looking at m making m motivation motivational which means that i would make t trackable which kind of would encompass the time and the other measurement side of it mm. just just because I'm desperate to get in the fact that this must be a motivational thing, it must be ambitious, it must be stretching. I like the way you've put in relevant, you've kind of got my point there, that it must be something that the business wants to do as well, because they're kind of paying for these objectives in a way. So yeah, I think there's a lot of good ideas then, but tell us, what, what do you do in the training room with this? How do you sort of bring it to life and help make a real difference to managers' lives? Yeah, the, the, way, I've, the way I do this that is that I have written about nine smart objectives and uh, some of them are missing uh, certain elements of smart some of them comply with all the elements of smart you know the errors and omissions and mistakes within the examples that i've given and what i do is i put the groups into pairs uh, and i get them to review uh, a couple to begin with do they think it's smart do they think it's measurable do they cheat think it's a cheat etc etc uh, and what happens is that we, we do this and by about the fourth smart objective, we now have start having arguments and discussions about whether something is smart or not. And that is like that is heaven, because now what I've got are a group of managers in front of me who are using some kind of critical framework to evaluate and discuss whether they think, yes, that complies, that doesn't. And, and before that, you could have written down anything and they'd say, yes, OK, yes, OK, yes, OK. 
Whereas what, what happens is by about the third one, we start to get some lively discussion about whether we agree something is specific or not. And we have a to and fro, we have a discussion, and suddenly smart becomes an alive subject. It becomes, a, you know, a real uh, issue. So what happens is we do that for, for these nine examples. And, and by the ninth one, they're pretty tuned up. They can start to make r very vigorous assessments about whether something is smart or not. And then what we do is I get each of the individuals to write two examples of smart objectives that they would set with a member of their own team. And then they have to present that back to the whole group and the whole group critiques whether they agree that it's smart or not. And what I can what I can say is that at the moment or at the time they exit that particular session, those managers are in a position to write smart objectives which are significantly uh, better and more appropriate than when they were when they came into the training room. Uh, but I would also add, you know, as per that previous podcast we did, John, there are some objectives which I think are more about attitude that lend themselves to that form of objective than does SMART. Right, okay. But just just on the point about the, the, the session then, so how long would that kind of session take normally? Presumably you talk through the acronym first and you oh, give oh, them all, all well, the, in, the stuff in, you've just said now. In total? Yeah. Well, about an hour, I would think. I mean, right, I'm, quite okay. happy, I'm quite happy to to send you that. The exercise, uh, John. So, if there's some way you can make it available to people, I'm quite happy to do that. So that sounds really good that you've actually got people actually caring about smart objectives, which is brilliant. And um, and you can get that done in in an hour. I I, I can generally I, I that that's the, that's what I generally schedule to get uh, people understanding and working with smart objectives. Because at the end of the day, it's not that difficult once you've got the criteria tied down. You know, something is either yes or no, it does or it doesn't comply with that critique, you know, the criteria. Yeah, but I mean, that's a really good hour of learning and development. The fact that it's kind of, one, it's short, so it's very easy for people to attend. Yeah, yeah. And and you're giving them structured frameworks, stuff they can take out and use. Yeah. And, you, and you're creating enthusiasm, discussion, debate, you know, about something that's generally seen as a, the kind of the less interesting yeah. side of management, I would think we're fair to say. Uh, I tell you, so that's biggest, pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, the the biggest problem or the biggest challenge is with any new approach or system is that you've basically got to set smart objectives for the smart objectives now. And what I mean by that is uh, you've got to make sure that these people now start applying and utilizing this process. Otherwise, they just slip back into their old ways. In some cases, uh, when they go back, because you know it's like a it's like um. A habit, you know, it takes 40 days to, to overcome old ones. And so consequently, uh, what, what I try to do with this is make sure that the line managers of the people who are attending are now aware of what this SMART criteria is and how that works so that they can themselves challenge and say, look, you're not, compl you're not applying this as you've been taught. Uh, and, I th and I think that's true for, for really the vast majority of training that we do, that we need some kind of transfer system to make sure that what they know and understand at the end of the session is then applied and utilised back in the workplace. Otherwise, it's all for nothing. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly the question I was going to ask you, is how do you make sure you transfer that and you that enthusiasm and interest you've created, how do you make sure that actually leads to 
change in performance in in the real world because that's the whole point of it. If that doesn't happen, there's no point. Um, and, and and you said the manager involvement, I think, is absolutely critical. Yeah, absolutely. If you haven't got that, I can guarantee you vast chunks of what you're training are just going to evaporate. Not because you're a poor trainer, not because the content is wrong. It's just you're dealing with human nature, and human nature is that people. Uh, stay in a comfort zone and even though they've learned something new it requires drive and you know and engagement for them to carry it through now there are large numbers of people who are going to do this regardless of what line managers do you know they're involved and they're in part of it but they're not the ones we have to worry about it's the ones that don't care and don't give a damn that we've got to get on board with this even if they don't like it i like the idea of a learning transfer method is make them write a smart objective from about using smart objectives as yeah, part of that exactly. action plan. Yeah. I think that's a really good uh, learning transfer method. And I should just give a quick shout out to a, a couple of previous podcasts we've done from Emma Weber talking about uh, action planning, the power of that, and, and other methods to make sure that things learning transfer. And yeah. also the Roger Greenaway one on learning transfer as well is really interesting. So there are a couple of podcasts with loads of really good ideas on learning transfer. Yeah, yeah. And the other point you made then was about our previous podcast when you talked about the other, the sort of more attitudinal things, which yeah, because you said there's specific had to be a behaviour, a task, or a or a, a an outcome. Mm. And the other example you used was it was kind of more attitudinal, and you talked about, I think you used the example then about good customer service, which is kind of a woolly phrase, and how you managed to turn that. And, and I have to say, I really do encourage people to go back to that. For me, as an as an L and D consultant. I found that to be one of the most useful things that I can share with people when I go around and they ask me, how can I do this? How can I do that? How can I make this work? That is absolutely golden. It makes it makes such a difference to people's lives and it makes me look great because I'm giving some really, really helpful advice. So really, <laughs> yeah, thank I mean, you very much, Gary, for that. And I really do yeah. encourage listeners to go back to it. Let's get back to the areas where we disagree. <laughs> And, uh, it's more in interesting, the, yeah. Yeah, in the podcast, you said um, you talked about being able to train attitude. Yeah. Tell tell me what your position is on that, because if if I understood it properly, I, I don't entirely agree with that either. Well, no. Well, what I said on that was that Christina was saying that when you're writing objectives, you've got to think about whether or not what you're trying to do is knowledge, skills, or attitude. Yeah. I raised the point that there are people, and I was thinking of you actually when I said, yeah, yeah, "Of course you were, yeah, yeah." Because <laughs> yeah, we've had this discussion before, yeah. and uh, and I know that you're quite strict on knowledge, skill, and much kind of warier about attitudinal area. Yeah. Uh, my position is yes, you can train on attitude. Or, or, yeah, or, yeah, or, I mean, can, I, can I rephrase that? Sorry, what I mean what? is uh, training and, and general L and D, which doesn't necessarily have to be classroom training can be part of the answer in terms of helping to influence attitude change. Right. I can agree with that. I can agree okay. with that statement because I think training can contribute. I think it can aid. I think it can help attitude. But the idea that we can train attitude, I just can't go along with. No, my, my position is very much it has to be part of, part of a bigger thing of essentially taking it as more like a, you would approach change management. Yeah, but on an individual I'll level, I tell the example I was thinking about John when when you were talking about this is that when when you uh, worked at Virgin Atlantic and I was uh, doing the trainer training there, one of the things that struck me about customer care at Virgin Atlantic is that it was driven by attitude. It was driven by the approach yeah. and the belief that the people 
I had in front of me. But to be frank, I didn't see that on any of the training courses. I felt that was more to do with the way they recruited and selected people. And then it was the way they were managed. But it wasn't it wasn't that Virgin Atlantic had an exceptional training course on customer care. It's that they had selected people who had got that disposition to, to begin with, including managers, and it became part of the cultural core of that business. I think you're right to some extent, but I actually think that they they could have benefited from some way of articulating better what it was that they were recruiting and selecting on and what it was that they liked and wanted to see more of and i I think and and helping certain helping people draw out those skills because their their approach is very much a kind of a a very warm and cheeky kind of customer service so so there are kind of i'll tell you the picture that went through my head when you can say you can train attitude if i came to you and said listen i've got a bunch of these uh isis guys and they've got a really poor attitude to uh you know humanity uh, could you do a training course for it you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that would you i think it's a tad extreme that example <laughs> but that, 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 you know that that if you can say you can train attitude then frankly you'd be able to empty the jails wouldn't you but i what i said was that an lnd program can be part of the answer in terms right. of influencing and, attitude. And I can I can agree with that. I don't have so an issue. So if you are if you are trying to get people to step up into a leadership program, yeah. if you are trying to get people to be more customer service orientated, yeah. a journey a journey I have successfully seen um, as a regular user of Iberia Airways, yeah. for example, bloody awful they were like a decade ago, and now they're right. really good. Now they're really right. pretty good. I mean, they're still a bit mechanical or whatever. They're not brilliant, but they're pretty good. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that journey change. Something has changed those people's attitudes, and right. they're the same. As far as I know, they're the same people. Yeah, and I'm sure that L and D has been part of that solution. Yeah. I'm saying without any facts here at all, yeah. but I'm sure L and D could I, have been I, part of that yeah, solution. I, I would add. I suspect also that management has played a major role in the attitudinal. Absolutely, change. a management yeah. management change a change management approach has played has been the key point. I I believe. Yeah, um, yeah. From what I know of the airline industry, what I know of what happened when they merged with British Airways, a change management approach was key to that, which included, obviously includes the attitudes of the leadership and the management, but it has included giving people the knowledge and the skills yeah, and, yeah. And, the, and, and the awareness of the need to change, the awareness of great yeah. service, yeah, the yeah. desire to do that. So it has tapped into that and L&D has been part of it. And on the kind of leadership programs that I do and on the management programs that I do, we are trying to influence people because we, we're not just trying to say, here's a skill, there you go, see ya. We're trying to influence them to say, to want to be great leaders, great managers, want mm. to step mm. step into those roles. There's definitely part of it is a, attempting to influence attitude. Yeah. On it, on its own, you're right. It's, you, you know, you, you'll hit one in a million. But as part of a bigger program, I think it I mean, can be part of the answer. I, I tell you what, one of my experiences is this. I'll be, I'll be doing a customer care training and this individual will appear in front of me. And, you know, one of the first questions, I, you know, I'll find out is what do they do and why are they here? And, and the response is, I don't know, I've been sent. Uh, and uh, it becomes apparent to me within about 30 seconds why they're here on this customer care skills course because they haven't got any customer, customer care, care skills. skills. Yeah. Um, but the, the problem is because the manager has not had a discussion with them about what the problem is, 
how their attitude is impairing their progress and that of the business. Nothing that I cover applies to them. And so consequently, that's why I'm so cool on and on just viewing training as a response to attitude. It's got to be part of a more holistic 360 degree approach to get this person on board and, and moving in the right direction. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the last bit of what you said. Yes, it has to be part of something bigger. Completely agree. And if it isn't, it's just, you know, as I said, you might hit one in a million. But I do, again, I do think there is value in giving people the, the knowledge and the skills, even in absence of attitude. Uh, I, I might just be unlucky, John, but what, what I find is that where the attitude does not, is not being refined and developed elsewhere, they can sometimes be completely dismissive of any content in terms of skill uh, or knowledge that you give them in the first place. So you... you you, you know, you're playing on a sticky yeah, wicket sure. to begin with. No, I agree. I, I do agree, and, and and I think I think we both do agree broadly that it needs to be part of something bigger, and that we entirely agree. Right. But I, I I think sometimes you can kind of put skills and a knowledge first and get people to just do stuff, mm. and then the attitude may follow on from that. Mm. You don't necessarily need to win the attitude war and then hope that the knowledge and skills flow out of that. You can kind of do yeah. it to some extent in reverse. Yeah. I, I, I know, I, yeah, I, I agree. The other thing I have to say is I am in awe of a number of trainers I've encountered where they are able to challenge people's attitude, often in a much more constructive and positive way than I have been successful in doing. I'm not saying I'm, I'm completely devoid of that. I'm not. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I have encountered people who have got a particular skill and ability uh, at that level um, often with a psychological background or training uh, and that's quite impressive to see yeah one of my colleagues is very good at that and again she's a she's a trained psychologist yes yeah yeah she's particularly skillful at asking those questions that you which seem harmless and they're kind of you know neutral questions but they yeah. just stop you and stop you in your tracks yes. yeah 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 you know I agree. which uh, yeah. hugely powerful yeah yeah i agree well listen gary thank you very much for that Thank you very much for talking there about the SMART objectives. I think okay. that's a good challenge to the previous podcast and a really good way, an interesting way of yeah. breaking breaking that down and bringing it to life. So I hope yeah. people found that useful. Thank you very much. And thank uh, you very much you, there for that get, challenge on the attitude. Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, you might have heard some odd noises in the background. It's just that I've got a parrot with me. And I was uh, going to ask you if you had a budgie or something. Yeah, we've been lucky because he swears like a trooper, so... Okay. Oh, we have, he hasn't sworn, no. So, no. <laughs> no, but he has screeched at the odd point. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think he agrees with you on your SMART acronym. <laughs> anyway, thanks for that, Gary. Okay. So that was me talking to Gary Platt. Gary was challenging a couple of points that had come up on the podcast with Christina previously. I hope you found that interesting, a bit different, a different kind of podcast. So in two weeks' time, we'll be back on track on the 15th when I release the regular podcast, which is a discussion about SDI with Simon Gallen. So see you then.